Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds. This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. If you smile this week, through your fear and sorrow, a bombshell report was dropped by the Biden administration in the most stunning abdication of responsibility yet from the president. Shocker, and no less on a holiday weekend. We'll dive into that. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. Catch my podcast at saturdaynightonthecircle.fireside.fm, wibc.com, and streaming on the YouTube where you can join us in the chat in progress. But before we get into all that, producer Carl is once again joining us, beep, 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 pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function. Back from a sojourn in the wilderness to Sweden. How's it doing? How's it going, Carl? Uh, it's good to be back. Did you enjoy the trip? How was it? What'd you uh, see? I, the destination was great. Uh, the trip, not so fun. Three connecting flights. Uh, How long is that? It's, That's... Well, it's... Flew to New York City, and then it's eight hours across the Atlantic, and uh, then we had we had an eleven-hour layover in London because we missed our flight. Oh my god! <laughs> because we didn't make our connecting flight, it was no fault of our own. So um, we, I guess you're getting over a bit of a cold yeah, too. I hope so, you didn't bring back the uh, European coronavirus <laughs> yeah, variant. Yeah, I was telling Ethan that I almost <laughs> coughed up a lung on Gun Guide. <laughs> He was a little worried there. If you hear some hacking and gacking in the distant <laughs> background, worry not, producer Carl is getting over a bug. But uh, but what 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 did you see? What sites? What architecture? Did you see any historical sites? Any old churches? Well, in London, of course, we we saw uh, Big Ben. We saw nice. Buckingham Palace. Uh, Sweden, we were in, in Gothenburg, so that's more of the manufacturing area. But uh, I did take a train trip out to Stockholm. It's it's an impressive city, and I was uh, I was saying to Ethan that um, we 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 loved it as tourists to go see Europe, and we didn't feel threatened. I I wonder how European tourists feel when they come to the United States because our big cities like New York and L.A. are very scary. Did you see Greta while you were over there? She's a big celebrity <laughs> no, oh, no. in that country. <laughs> well, Finland. Yeah, they're all the same, right? The Scandinavian countries. I was looking for Greta, but I did not see her. Uh, no Greta. Well, we're glad to have you back here <laughs> safe you. and sound in the United States of America. All right. So we begin this segment with the Biden administration's stunning refusal to accept any level of responsibility in the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. I couldn't believe the scam they're trying to pull on the American people. And apparently neither could N- NBC, which wasn't really able to hide um, how clownish this take is from the administration. Nearly two years after the deadly and disastrous American withdrawal from Afghanistan, those stunning images of Afghans desperately chasing U.S. planes and the airport terror attack, which killed 13 U.S. service members. The Biden administration releasing its after action review, trying to pin much of the blame on former President Trump, who had left office eight months earlier, including citing sharp drawdowns of U.S. troops. It is also undeniable that decisions made and the lack of planning done by the previous administration significantly limited options available to him. 
course, it all makes sense. Nearly eight months after Biden took office and became not just the president, but more importantly and specifically, the commander-in-chief of the military. Yes, it's Donald Trump's fault for the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. What a joke this administration is. Shameless in its attempt to abdicate responsibility. And John Kirby, in particular, was a host to a plethora of clownish takes on the withdrawal. I mean, look, the Taliban with uh, uh, retook control of the government nearly immediately and since then has posted numerous photos uh, of their, their American military hardware. But John Kirby saying that, of course, that wasn't the Americans' equipment. No, no. Not only is it Trump's fault for the withdrawal, but that equipment doesn't even belong to the United States. Get this. In looking through this, it doesn't seem to address the $7 billion in military hardware and technology that was left in Afghanistan for the Taliban. You know, the president took office in January. The withdrawal happened in, in August. Does the president take responsibility for, for leaving all or some of that? You know who was responsible for that equipment? The Afghans. <laughs> because you know why? It was their equipment. What? Hello? It's the Afghans equipment, you understand? Well, who gave the, Af the Afghans the equipment, producer? I, I see you guffawing over there. It's the Americans! The Americans gave the Afghans the equipment, but of course, so it's the Afghans' fault. It's Donald Trump and the Afghans' fault for the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. This cartoonish buffoonish take from the administration. John Kirby again attempting to deflect, saying, well, by, by golly, you know, we just didn't leave the equipment behind, and I really dispute that $7 billion figure. And by the way, the, the small, teeny, tiny, micro amount of equipment that was left behind, well, it was disabled, but we didn't leave much behind. No, no. There was very little, and I mean very little, U.S.-owned equipment or U.S.-operated equipment that we left when we left Afghanistan. I'm talking like some forklifts at the airport um, and some ladder vehicles, some fire trucks uh, that we were using at the airport. But the, and the helicopters that we left there, all disabled so the Taliban couldn't get them flying again. Whatever ground vehicles like uh, AMRAPs or Humvees, uh, they were all disabled at the airport. Forklifts at the airport? That's incredible, producer Carl, because the Taliban, from their official Twitter page, mind you, Donald Trump banned from Twitter, but Taliban allowed to operate, uh, you know, an official page on their platform. Um, but but they're not taking pictures of for forklifts. Those are Humvees, hundreds of them lined up in rows. What they do, like convert them, salabim, salabim, malabam, you know, magically, and, you know, they go from forklifts into Humvees and helicopters. That's that's incredible, producer Carl. That is that is astounding and amazing. That but that is the take that they chose to drop late on a Thursday in prep for dumping it on you know the wasteland that is a holiday weekend when most people are getting together with their families and doing more important things than focusing on this nonsense. What were you getting ready to say? Yeah, that's why people tune into you, Ethan, because you catch it.
Well, uh, you know, we we like to be the teller of truth here on the weekend. I like to think of Saturday Night on the Circle actually as the tentpole program that kind of ties the ratings together. The, you know, they drop off at the end of Friday, but then they tune in for my show and they stay tuned in until, you know, the morning programs uh, with, with Tony Katz and uh, Rob Kendall and Casey Daniels. They're, you know, the, that that's the importance of my show, Saturday Night on the Circle, or the, the tentpole program. We, we tie the ratings together. Much like the the rug in uh, the dude's room from The Big Lebowski. Anyway, getting off track there. Uh, the cartoonish takes from John Kirby, circling back like Jen Psaki, uh, continuing to make a clown show of this administration, saying that there was a lot to be proud of. Nobody's saying that everything was perfect, but there was a lot that went right, and a lot of Afghans are now living better lives in this country and other countries around the world because of the sacrifices and the work of so many American government officials. So yeah, there's a lot to be proud of, Peter. that statement by saying the Afghanistan citizens who survived because they, these are the same citizens many of them aid workers who helped with the United States during their decades long occupation of the country clinging onto airplanes and then falling to their deaths we of course talk about the tragic loss of 13 marines in the attack at the Kabul airport but often neglected is the loss of 170 civilians again many of them you know aiding the United States during the occupation of Afghanistan and then completely abandoned by the administration in the most disgraceful fashion. But again, from John Kirby, he didn't even see any of this. He didn't recognize that the chaos was even there. And so for all this talk of chaos, I just didn't see it. Not from my perch. At one point during the evacuation, there was an aircraft taking off full of people, Americans and Afghans alike, every 48 minutes. And not one single mission was missed. So I'm sorry. I just won't buy the whole argument of chaos. The Biden administration claimed that the Trump administration provided no plans for how to conduct the final withdrawal or, the eva- or to evacuate Americans and Afghan allies. President Biden has committed to ending the war in Afghanistan, but when he came into office, he was confronted with difficult realities left to him by the Trump administration. And you are the president of the United States, presumably elected to handle those difficult realities. I thought when Biden was elected, the adults are back in charge. We're going to restore respect to America. But all of a sudden, you know, that that kind of decisive leadership, he just can't cut it in a time of actual crisis. But he can't even admit it was a crisis, according to John Kirby. Oh, we didn't see any chaos unfold. And of course, most of all, this is disrespectful to the thousands of Americans whose lives were senselessly thrown away in this military-industrial complex war in Afghanistan, the never-ending war, and we've only continued that conflict now in uh, Ukraine. But it, it is most disrespectful to the military members, and one of them in particular called out the Biden administration, pointing out that, yes, it is his responsibility. The buck stops at the presidency, or at least it used to. I think that was a Truman administration thing, but, uh, you know, not anymore. Lance Corporal Jared Schmidt died in the suicide bombing. His father said the 12-page summary is an insult. You're the president of the United States. The buck stops with you. It's your responsibility. Stop making excuses. The long-delayed White House release happened on the cusp of a holiday weekend, and there are no plans to make public the classified details given to Congress. Trump, of course, had plenty to say on Truth Social, noting Biden is responsible, no one else. And you know what? 
the former president is right. That is Biden's responsibility. And this abdication of it is disgusting and shows his lack of reverence for the country he's supposed to serve. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more. We've got fun conversations coming up in the show. You'll hear our friend Abdul up next later in hour two. Rob Kendall coming on. Don't miss a moment. Keep those dials locked to 93 WIBC. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle, where I'm your bespectacled curmudgeon, Ethan Hatcher. And podcasts are uploaded to WIBC.com, and you'll find us streaming on the YouTube. The Indianapolis primaries have begun in earnest as one Republican has flooded the city with mailers and inundated the airwaves with commercials, setting the stage for a David-battling Goliath scenario ahead of the May 2nd vote. But like this mythic tale illustrates, sometimes it's brain that outmaneuvers brawn. Joining us now is the man on the campaign trail battling against the forces of mediocrity and the guy I'd love to be our next mayor, the one and only Abdul Shabazz joins the show. How's it going, my friend? Ah, going well. How's everything going for you? Everything is excellent. Um, the first thing I'd like to get into with the campaign, especially with just over a month to go, what's your sense about how you've connected with the uh, Marion County primary voters? Uh, we feel like we've done a really good job uh, because, in a nutshell, there are only in the last two primary elections, in each election, only about 18,000 people actually came out and actually voted and participated in the Republican primary. So, what we're doing is we're targeting our message toward those voters who come out who's come who've come out twice uh, in the primary. So, we don't so we don't have to spend as much money as our as our counterparts do because we've got a very targeted, very focused campaign. And we're, 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 we're reaching those guys because uh, our yard signs are going like crazy. So you're, so. you're, you're saying the surgical approach, because that was my next question. What this What is the strategy for overcoming the $600,000 behemoth and what amounts to a campaign carpet bombing strategy across the city? I mean, I have gotten no less than seven of those laptop-sized mailers on the thick cardstock with the bright colors, and it's like, my gosh, every day practically, or every other day, I should say. Yeah, well, they well they tried carpet bombing in Hanoi and it didn't work all that well about fifty something odd years ago. So, <laughs> just, just, so just an FYI, um, we know we like so we realize Jefferson has a lot of money. We we get that, and we're not going to be able to compete with those types of resources. So our team said, why bother trying? No, let's make sure we just raise. We don't have to raise a lot of money. We have to raise enough money to get our message out and reach our voters. We're advertised on WIBC. Uh, we got mailers going out. Uh, I want to say in a couple of weeks, we've got uh, some other things going to be taking place. Uh, then with earned media. So, like I said, we feel good about we feel good about our strategy and what we're doing. Now, is it a guarantee? No, not all. We'll find out on May second. No, who actually wins this thing? But we feel good about where we are. What's the response that you've gotten from voters you've spoken with? Very good, uh, and it's, it's kind of weird because it's, when, when we talk about our campaign, first of all, people are excited, and that's something that a lot of people are. are Wanted, wanted to be just excited about a candidate, be excited about the possibility of change uh, in the city of Indianapolis. So for that, we feel actually really good about uh, sort of where we are. 
Well, I, I mean, I was inspired by the message, you know, public works, public trust, uh, public safety. It's, you know, one of those bullet point kind of issues you can fit on a napkin. And it's right on target about the, the, you know, the issues that our city is currently facing. And then, you know, I've known you since I was 16, so I was just stoked to see you running for mayor. Um, what have you learned from your first time going out for public office? I mean, this has been something uh, in the works for decades. Uh, what, what's your what's your learning experience now that it's underway? Well, one thing I've always told myself is a truly smart person knows what they don't know and is aware of that. And so that's why I have really sharp people around me. My campaign manager, Megan Umloff, I worked on Greg Ballard's campaign, Kelly Mitchell's campaign. I'm a fundraiser, Bob Norma Unzer. Uh, she's really good at raising money. And so you let those you let people do their jobs and just sort of give like general direction. Then I have what I call my WTF guys. That's the what the blank guys. <laughs> who are, who are, who, who keep me from doing stupid stuff. Like, no, dude, you can't do that. You're fired. No, I'm not fired. Because I'm, I'm firmly, every elected official or politician needs a WTF guy or gal. Is that Chris Spangle? Uh, no. <laughs> well, Chris Spangle's one of them. He's one of Chris them. Chris Spangle, Brad Kloppenstein, um, and a good friend of mine named Gary Bailey and a couple other guys. Yeah, both all all really solid guys. Uh, you know, I, I've talked with Brad a few times. Actually, I was at the last uh, campaign fundraiser at the uh, uh, the the Brad Brad Klopfenstein speakeasy. That was really neat. I plan to be there at Nikki Blaine's. I mean, you know, Norma Unzer's doing a great job because I've already given you more money than I've given any other politician <laughs> at this point. You know, I feel, I feel, I feel like I feel, I feel like Las Vegas. It's like, hey, Ethan's back. Come on, come on in. We got your drinks and your and your slot machines, your crap tape right here well it's it's gambler's fallacy i'm invested at this point so i expect there's going to be a payoff but you know when i'm when i'm spending the money with you i prefer to think of it as blackjack versus roulette because at least there's a strategy there and it seems that you have a strategy going forward with the campaign that i appreciate oh yeah because one thing we we made it a point to do was uh unlike a lot of elected officials when they get ready when they run for public office they say well we'll work to lower crime i work with neighborhood groups i'll do this i'll hire more police officers they never tell you how exactly they're going to do it so what we did was when we put our public safety, public works, and public trust plans together, we actually put in some details, like on how to deal with the homeless issue, like on how to deal with, with our road issue. And I tell people, you know what, if you don't like it, that's fine. Give me another idea that's better, and I'll take it. Because you know what, good politicians borrow, but great politicians steal. I'll happily steal your idea. And by the way, <laughs> and I'd, I'd also remind people, too, that these ideas are written in WordPress, not on stone clay tablets. So... Not not some clean tablets, not from Mount Sinai. They're not the Ten Commandments. They're they're ideas on how to make the Indianapolis better. And if someone comes along with a better idea, I'll be happy to take advantage of it. Right. Adjustments can be tailored as needed, just like the suits from your friends at Leon Tailoring. You know. Exactly. Um, So speaking of details, what does Abdul's first day in office look like if you do win the primaries and ultimately uh, become mayor? Well, the first thing we do is ask for a recount. That's number one. Is that for recount? Because that'll make my wife happy. It's like, honey, look, we're actually mayor of Indianapolis now. Like, oh, God, great. That's just what I need. Um, and the first thing is um, there's some things that the city, that the mayor can do by executive order. There's some other things that he needs council approval. Other things needs legislature's approval. Uh, but one thing I'm, I'm definitely going to do is bring back the, the Office of Public Safety and bring back a public safety director. You cannot fight a war without a secretary of defense. Imagine the president trying to run the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines, and the Coast Guard. You, you can't do that. So you need somebody who eats, sleeps, and drinks public safety 24-7. So that's one of the first things I do is bring back the public safety director. Do you have any candidates in mind? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, but like I said, yeah, that's, uh, for that, that's a November type, uh, decision. Right.
something coming down along the line. Um, hey, congratulations, yeah. by the way, on uh, your opponent getting charged with scrap metal theft. I, I imagine that has uh, helped ease the campaign struggle at least a little bit. <laughs> Well, it's funny because John Couch accused me of uh, leaking the story, which I didn't really leak the story. The story was up there on mycase.gov. So, like, why, why, get, why get mad at me? You should be happy you actually got some uh, campaign publicity. You got more publicity in the last 24 hours than you have all all couple of months. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But uh, as far as the campaign goes with Jefferson Shreve, I mean, do, do you think that he? What what is his ultimate strategy with voters? Because I've heard there's turmoil in the campaign. You know, he's uh, uh, turned over his campaign advisors a number of times now. Uh, do you think that he's able to successfully connect with those Marion County voters just by right of making those ridiculous mailers and then you know putting on the commercials on the air basically every other minute? I mean, I can't turn on the station without hearing from him at least once. Um, I will not criticize other person's campaign strategy because I'm assuming they hopefully, I'm assuming they know something that we don't. We're just focusing on what we're doing, Fair our goals, and reaching those those twenty thousand Republican primary voters. Fair enough. I'm looking forward to uh, the results of the May 2nd primary. Obviously, you've got my vote. I think that you've got a plan for the city going forward. I'm energized by it. I've seen you talk with uh, Marion County voters in uh, you know in person, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, surmount the campaign. I'm looking forward to it. I'm thinking also, hopefully, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll start running uh, commercials on television. We just uh, did a taping on Friday. so. Uh, and if any uh, voters want to show you support, where can they find more information? Uh, Abdul4indy at number4indy.com. Excellent. A-B-D-U-L. Thanks for your time, my friend. I appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Ethan. My pleasure, sir. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC. We've got a lot more coming on Saturday night on The Circle. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Chair for the Council on Environmental Quality, who revealed the real basis for the long-running con job. Also this week, Disney showcased more changes to their woke live-action remake of the 1989 classic The Little Mermaid, and even ABC-employed members of The View seemed to throw shade at the revisions. Finally, more ridiculousness from the AOC clown show, so don't miss a moment of this week's edition of Hat Tricks with Hatcher. It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIBC with producer Carl. Beep, 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 beep. 
pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We begin this week with an interesting slip from Biden's chair on the Council for Environmental Quality, uh, noting how they would disperse federal funding using a particular tool but check out the drop. It's in the name. You know, the uh, climate and economic justice screening tool is the is, is going to be the base for us identifying what those communities are. Um, and that is basically a mapping tool that was created based on like areas using factors that show the disadvantage that occurs, like places where there's high flooding, places where there are health impacts, places where there are air impacts, places where they're like subject to um, to legacy pollution. So those are all combined together to create a map. And that map is a basis for us as we are looking at funding that is whoa, whoa, um, that whoa, is needed. Whoa, whoa, let's rewind the tape for just a moment. Producer Carl, did you catch that? Right there at the very beginning, what she said, this is supposed to be a climate tool, but what, what was it there? Economic justice? There we yeah. go. Economic justice. Let's play it in slow-mo. Climate and economic justice screening tool. Economic justice screening tool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So here we go. We're literally just shifting dollars around, redistributing the wealth to change the weather. That's what this climate justice so-called is about. It's they, they, they dropped it in the name. It's not climate justice. It has nothing to do with the climate. It has everything to do with wealth redistribution. That's what the con job is really all about. They don't give a damn about the weather. And if they did, government can't change it. But they can take your wealth and redistribute to those they feel who are victims, but most importantly, voters. So that's what this scheme is really all about. And I thought it was an interesting drop from Brenda Mallory. But the cartoonishness doesn't end there. Of course, this week, Donald Trump was officially arraigned on Tuesday, brought before the court in in New York, and according to Karine Jean-Pierre, oh, 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 the Biden administration was completely unaware. Uh, when we first learned uh, about uh, about the um, about the indictment, uh, the president was not given a heads up. Uh, he was uh, briefed by his chief of staff, and he learned about this just like all of you uh, through the reporting. Learned about this just like all of you. Do we believe that? No. Not for a moment. This is a clearly political maneuver targeting the former president, and it's been it's been engineered at the lowest and highest levels of the Democrat Party, all uh, colluding to uh, target the former president. So, you know, th th this is just a, sm a smoke job. Uh, it's just a screen uh, of interference, but obviously not truthful. Um, Corrine Jean-Pierre also took time to slam Tennessee Republicans uh, for pushing back on uh, the insurrection at the Tennessee Capitol. Uh, protesters temporarily took control of the uh, property in a similar fashion to January 6th. Here's a here's a cut from last week. <laughs> oh, 
mostly peaceful protesters, as they say. And Corrine Jean-Pierre slammed the Tennessee Republicans uh, in an effort to expel the Democrats who led these protests into the Capitol building, uh, saying that the fact that this vote is happening is shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent. Not the insurrection the vote to punish the insurrectionists. So, you know, apparently turnabout is not fair play in the Democrat in the Democrat playbook. Um, another thing I wanted to cover, though, of course, we've seen the wokery being peddled by Disney as an entertainment company, um, and no property is safe, especially not their animated classics. One by one, they've gone through and essentially ruined them, injecting modern messages and critique or uh, changing the original plots to suit modern audiences. The latest latest victim of a, a casualty of this trend is going to be the Little Mermaid releasing uh, later this year in just just a month. I think it's the end of May. Uh, it's coming out. And even the ABC employed shills at The View uh, kind of poked fun at the changes and revisions being made to this. Hey, welcome back. So the live action update of Disney's Little Mermaid is getting a rewrite on some of the songs that filmmakers don't think age very well. And the man who wrote Eight-time Oscar-winning songwriter Alan Menken said he's tweaking what he originally wrote in the songs like Kiss the Girls and Poor Unfortunate Souls to reflect a more modern view on women's consent and female empowerment. Let's get one thing out of the way. This isn't the original songwriter who's going back to tweak because he, th you know, uh, he thinks that there's revisions that can be made to his original work. No, th this just happened 30 years ago, like 34. He came out in 89, so 34 years ago. Uh, has the culture significantly changed so vastly uh, it, since that time that we we can't have uh, the original lyrics to the song? No, this is clearly uh, the D Disney Corporation strong-arming the creator, again, to shield from criticism. But e even the host of The View kind of clowning on it, um, and they pointed out how nonsensical some of the alterations are, especially to the villain song. But but with the kiss the girl, she gave her voice away so she could have legs. So <laughs> I don't know consent? how she could she talk. Oh wait a minute. So wait a minute. But when this tail thing sense? happened, she had legs. Because I was thinking, as a mermaid, how far could it go? It go to second base. That's it. <laughs> yeah. No. No. But she had legs. She has legs, so I, how, do you, how do you consent am I right or when wrong? you can't talk? I'm right. But on Poor Unfortunate Souls, that's the bad guy. The bad guy's supposed to give bad advice. Like her being like, oh, don't Ursula? speak, men will like you. Yeah, Ursula's, we're not taking, like, we're not saying take her advice to the bank. She's clearly the bad well, the guy. Holy crap, even The View picks up that you're sanitizing the villain song. The whole point of the villain is to tempt our protagonist into uh, actions they wouldn't have other otherwise take and then sanitizing it kind of dilutes the message this is completely ridiculous they've changed and altered so much they might as well um make a different tale entirely uh, maybe even drawing uh, inspiration from the original where the uh, mermaid dies of heartbreak and turns into sea foam at the end of the story you're listening to saturday night on the circle 93 wibc uh, also wanted to cover let's see oh yes AOC balking at, of all things, judicial activism. Uh, the Democrats can't stand it when uh, uh, rulings in the judiciary don't go this their way. In this case, uh, Texas blocking the FDA approval of a medicine for abortion purposes. And AOC's solution, instead of fighting the ruling in court and seeing the process through to the end, is simply ignore it. 
there has been thought, I believe, given to this. Senator Ron Wyden has already issued statements, uh, for example, advising what we should do in a situation like this, which I concur, which is that I believe that the Biden administration should ignore uh, this ruling. I think that we, you know, the courts have the legitimacy and they rely on the legitimacy of their rulings. And what they are currently doing is engaged in an unprecedented and dramatic erosion of the legitimacy of the courts. They, it, it is the justices themselves, through the deeply partisan and unfounded nature of these rulings, that are undermining their own enforcement. I think it's hilarious what she thinks is undermining the integrity of the judiciary is this ruling in Texas and not Alvin Bragg's ridiculous display in New York arraigning the former president on 30 largely vacuous felony charges, actually misdemeanor charges that have since uh, expired past the statute of limitations that he's bootstrapping into federal crimes. That's uh, not a, a pollution of the judicial system. This is, at least in AOC's book. Absolutely ridiculous. And then finally this week, we also learned that the Biden administration lied once again. The Chinese spy balloon was spying and did gather intelligence. And new this morning, NBC News has learned exclusively that the Chinese spy balloon that flew across the U.S. back in February was able to gather intelligence from several military sites. This latest reporting is based on new information from two current senior U.S. officials and one former senior administration official. For more, we're joined by NBC News global security reporter Dan DeLuce. Dan, good morning. So clearly a major development. What do we know about this finding? Sinclair, really interesting reporting here from our colleagues Courtney Cooper and Carol Lee saying that that balloon that flew over the U.S. was able to collect some intelligence and it was often able to pass multiple times over some military bases and they were picking up electronic signals and sending them back to China. So that would be possibly eavesdropping on conversations or picking up on electronic signals from West uh, weapon systems. Shot it down, but instead the Biden administration tracked it, identified it and let it fly over our military installations and gather intelligence for the Chinese. And you tell me that he isn't somehow in the bag for the commies overseas. Ridiculous. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Night on The Circle. More to come, including an update on Richard Allen's state, a physical condition at a facility in Cass County. We'll tell you more up next on Saturday Night on The Circle. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Brown paper bag. Richard Allen stands accused of the Delphi murder. I tripped on a cloud and, and now attorneys have made an emergency request for him to be moved to a new prison due to his deteriorating physical condition. Small correction. I'd said he was residing in the Cass County Jail. Wrong. That's where they're wanting to move him. He's currently out the uh, Westville Correctional Facility, and they are requesting to move him to the Cass County facility, releasing pictures of his condition to the news. And my, I mean, if you compare what he looked like when he was booked and what he compares, what he looks like now, 
it is markedly different. And, of course, they, they don't tend to treat uh, child murderers or child molesters very well in prison. But the family of these Del- the, the, the Delphi uh, victims deserve answers. This man has to stay in trial. There are too many unresolved questions uh, about the events that transpired, about his involvement, and he can't die before the trial even begins. That would be an incredible uh, injustice and uh, disservice to the victims, uh, to the the family, um, and and we need answers. And we're only going to get answers if he remains in reasonable physical condition. Now, if he's ultimate, if they ultimately find him guilty, uh, much like Jason Hammer, I don't care too much about his how he's treated, his physical condition. You know, he can rot there in the jail cell. But innocent until proven guilty, we got to go through the process. And right now, there are too many unresolved questions to be solely pointing the finger at this guy without taking it to a court of law and having the opportunity for all of the evidence to be presented, to be vetted, and ultimately for a conclusion to be reached. Um, Speaking of uh, uh, conclusions to be reached in investigations, there also was a, a terrible murder on the east side of Indianapolis recently, and no suspect has even been identified. This was a Papa John's delivery man, of all things, who was shot at random, seemingly. Uh, his vehicle was stolen, but they left more than $300 in his we- uh, wallet, um, and since then, a uh, suspect has not been identified. Uh, it, it, it just a sad commentary on the deterioration rating condition generally of the city of Indianapolis um, and what we can look forward to if we have more of Joe Hogsett's uh, leadership. Uh, Speaking of poor city leadership, though, that brings me to Brandon Johnson, the mayor-elect of Chicago. And if you think things were bad under Lori Lightfoot, get ready, Val, because you're going to end for a problem. Brandon Johnson is even more loony, vowing to send uh, social workers to uh, intervene with violent criminals. So if defunding the police isn't the answer, what do you plan to do with your resources? Is it less money or more money to police departments? Well, it's it's more money towards the, the areas of needs, right? And as I mentioned before, you know, we're working to double the amount of young people that we hire, um, not just for summer jobs, but for year-round positions. Um, one of the things that I think is actually quite fascinating about um, our position here in Chicago, we've been pushing this ordinance called Treatment Not Trauma. In essence, first responders, uh, social workers, counselors, EMT, these individuals would show up to cause um, that that require those type of interventions. In fact, in Chicago, almost 40% of the 911 calls are mental health crises. So get ready for more violence in the city of Chicago and be prepared for a few emergency responders, of all things, to be caught up in the crossfire by recklessly demanding they intervene with violent criminals in a city that's already to be proven exceedingly dangerous. Evidently, though, the voters of Chicago not learning their lesson and exchanging one leftist radical for another in the race for the mayor's office. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Night on The Circle. We've got a lot more to come. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC and hop in the chat on YouTube.
Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Former President Donald Trump now finds himself officially arraigned. The first time in history that a former president has been charged criminally in more than 34 counts. And although this represents the deterioration of our constitutional uh, system, not all are disappointed in the charges. These appear to be the weakest, yet some of the most vehement critics are celebrating in the nastiest of ways. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Night on The Circle. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Carl, beep, 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 pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function. Catch the podcast at SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM, WIBC.com, and streaming live on the YouTube where you can participate in the chat as the show goes on. Who is celebrating? Well, it's the usual suspects. I played Stephen Colbert on last week's show. He's still got that crap-eating grin smeared all over his face, and the crowd just jumping in joyous at Donald Trump's arraignment in the sickest uh, 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 display of partisanship, well, since uh, last time. It was an absolutely beautiful day here in New York. Yeah. (laughs) 70 degrees. 70 degrees and sunny with a chance of jail because about not that far, like four miles south of here, the former president was arraigned on 34 felony counts. He was supposed to arrive at the courthouse around 11 a.m. Once he finally arrived down at the courthouse, we heard these immortal words. This moment at 1.24 p.m. Eastern time, Donald J. Trump is under arrest. It feels good, but remember, he is innocent until proven so, so guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get your yucks out of the way, because I don't think this case is really going anywhere. Of course, he's already overcome not one, but two impeachment trials being acquitted in the Senate. Uh, He was found to have no connection, no collusion with uh, Russia in the congressional investigation. They've thrown everything at him, uh, and now this Alvin Bragg-led prosecution is the thinnest, 
weakest uh, uh, charges against him yet. And even critics in the mainstream media are picking up on that fact. This was reported by The Hill, also noting skepticism from, of all places, CNN regarding the veracity of the charges. These are misdemeanor charges that are already past the statute of limitations that the uh, uh, district attorney is attempting to bootstrap somehow into federal felony counts, uh, although he lacks the jurisdiction to do so, and the shaky foundation is already becoming apparent. Now with the indictment against the president unsealed, it seems some of even the staunchest never-Trumpers are admitting the case isn't the slam dunk that they were hoping for. Let's check in on CNN. You know, to be fair, I don't know uh, that a case like this would be brought against Donald Trump, real estate developer, for the same alleged... I mean, who knows? Maybe it would be, but uh, on the other hand... Is it what you thought it was going to be, and are you unimpressed? It, it is what I thought it was going to be uh, in terms of focusing on the payments that were made, the falsification of the records, and really tied to the payment that was made to Stormy Daniels. Uh, in terms of a case that's being brought against a former president, it's a little underwhelming. Now that the indictments have been unsealed, we can see exactly how vapid the charges are. These 34 felony counts that you heard Stephen Colbert grossly celebrating over are largely all related to exactly the same thing. This uh, hush, uh, hush money payment to Stormy Daniels that was mislabeled in financial disclosures. So that is the real crime, not the payment itself, the mislabeling in financial disclosures, which Alan Dershowitz made an amazing point show uh, District uh, Attorney Alvin Bragg should show at least one case anywhere in the state of New York in which a corporation uh, has, uh, or, or an individual has been brought to trial for mislabeling hush money payments on financial disclosures, which would pretty much mitigate the point of hush money payments because you're wanting to prevent the information from getting out. Of course, you wouldn't label it transparently on a public financial disclosure. Duh. Where, where has that ever happened in the state of New York? And there are hush money payments that go through every day. But we know this isn't based on any level of legitimacy. Um, it is largely, it, well, it is it is wholly based on a bastardization of the, the judicial branch. Uh, it is a weaponization of the judiciary for political ends. And we see that in Alvin Bragg's uh, primary run uh, in 2021, in which he was bragging, boasting, uh, living up to his name. Uh, of suing the Trump family more than 100 times. The docket. We know, let's talk about what's waiting for the new DA. The docket. We know there's a Trump investigation. I have investigated Trump and his children and held them accountable for their misconduct with the Trump Foundation. I also sued the Trump administration more than 100 times for DACA, the travel ban, separation of children from their families at the border. So I know that work. I know how to follow the facts and hold people in power accountable. But this char these charges seem to be a complete dereliction of his duties as, uh, as an attorney because they lack substantive ground. Uh, this is being noted by George Washington University Law School professor Jonathan Turley, who's now had an opportunity to see the indictment like we all have, including as many critics that there is no there there in these 34 counts of largely the same crimes. You, you see, they, they've been uh, entered in various uh, financial disclosures, uh, different places, and each 
of those individual counts is what's being charged, and that's where you get the 34 number from. Because this thing has a feeling of like a legal Slurpee. It, it, it's instantly satisfying, but has no nutritional value. It, it, you, there's really nothing there. You didn't see anything that we didn't already know. I mean, we were going in saying, even if there are all these counts, now we know there are 34, but as far as the they're there tying it to the federal crime, you're assuming it's federal election law, right? I am. Look, the thing is, this is basically what we expected. You had people like Lanny Davis, who represents uh, Michael Cohen, saying, I'm warning you, there's going to be a lot of new crimes here, and it's going to, there's going to be a lot of new facts. Well, it wasn't. I mean, th this was the business falsification theory that we've talked about. The only surprising thing is that Bragg seemed to have solved the question of his authority through ambiguity. He just removed any direct references to what this underlying offense was. And he was asked about it in the press conference and essentially said, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. And he will eventually have to say in the bill of particulars. He will. And my guess is it's going to be a federal election claim. I mean, this the, the state, the reference of the state election law was so general and ambiguous. I don't think that that could be the it sustain this type of action. So are you thinking that he's betting that this judge is just because it's this big of a case is not going to dismiss it. Yeah, it's like that scene in Braveheart when he says, "I hope we didn't get dressed up for nothing." I mean, it's he's hoping that this judge is going to be very timid and not throw this out. But there are substantial threshold legal questions here, and this case could collapse uh, before it gets to a trial. And this is not the only judge that will have to look at this, and I think that has to weigh heavily on him because. There's no there there. Democrats must be gluttons for punishment, incredibly self-sabotaging to come after the former president with the weakest of charges brought against him to date. Uh, he has surmount every, surmounted every legal obstacle placed before him thus far. Uh, I, you know, especially with what we know now, it seems incredibly likely he will do in this instance as well. Of course, uh, we're coming up on Easter weekend, uh, Easter Sunday happening tomorrow and it wouldn't be complete without references to Jesus Christ. Marjorie Taylor Greene drawing the comparison between the biblical savior and Donald Trump. President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus Jesus was arrested and murdered by the Roman government. There have been many people throughout history that have been arrested and persecuted by radical, corrupt governments. And it's beginning today in New York City. Um, and I just can't believe it's happening, but I'll always support him. He's done nothing wrong. You know, Producer Carl, in the Bible, Jesus' first miracle was converting water to wine. Uh, our Savior Trump, his first miracle would be converting water to Diet Coke. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Stay tuned for more. Up next, our friend Rob Kendall joins the show. We'll be talking more about the Trump indictment and the arraignment and how this impacts him in the Republican primaries. And we'll also talk a little more Abdul Shabazz and his run for mayor of Indianapolis. Don't miss a moment of this award-winning show, Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIBC. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. America! America! I love you, America! You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Good evening. This is Saturday Night on the Circle with your bohemian codger, Ethan Hatcher. Podcasts are uploaded to WIBC.com, and you can find us streaming on the YouTube. As we learned late last week, Manhattan Democratic District Attorney Alvin Bragg followed through with his reckless plan to prosecute the former president, convincing the grand jury to indict Donald Trump the first time in history this has ever happened to a former president. And now that the indictment has been unsealed, even many critics agree this is the weakest case against the former president yet. Joining us to further unpack this travesty of the judicial system and its potential impact on the 2024 primaries is one half of the Kendall and Casey show, the man Donald Trump himself once called terrific. He's the ineffable and unflappable Rob Kendall joining us by phone once again. How are you, sir? Did you call yourself a bohemian crudger? Bohemian codger. That is a man of artistic tastes and odd habits, usually of an oh. old man. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Now, yes, let's talk about Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Okay. So now that the indictment has been unsealed, of course, the headline grabber was more than 30 felony counts. And it turns out they're all basically related to the same thing this payment to Stormy Daniels that was allegedly mislabeled on financial documents. And now he's being brought to court for it, of course, pleading not guilty. But this seems incredibly weak from the Democrats. What I want to ask you, because you have such a great intuition for these things, what's it going to do for the Donald short term and what's it do for him long term as this unfolds? Compound question there. Yeah, well, I think it's going to help him short term, which it has. The polling shows he's had a huge spike, especially amongst Republicans. Not only polling, but fundraising. He's gotten like millions of dollars off this. Yeah, absolutely. The problem with Trump is he's exhausting and he will not be able to maintain the sympathy because he's exhausting. Ethan, everybody has that one friend that just pleads for sympathy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that person is harder to have sympathy for than your friend who never asks for anything, never wants anything, never asks for any help. And they're just two different types of people. And Donald Trump is exhausting and he will blow through the goodwill that he is earning right now. If the Republicans refuse to support Donald Trump after this in the primaries, does that essentially mean we're allowing the Democrats to win using their persecution of the judicial system to derail a president? Well, I think you can say that a guy is getting a raw deal. I think you can say a guy is getting screwed. I think you can say a guy is is being abused by the legal system. It doesn't mean you still have to vote for that guy for president. Look, I like Ron DeSantis. I feel bad for Donald Trump. I think that what is happening to Donald Trump is terrible, and I'm going to speak about it at every opportunity I have. But I'm not obligated to vote for some guy for president just because there's some psycho district attorney in New York. Ron DeSantis hasn't technically declared for president yet, yet a fact that many people continue to point out, does this change his strategy in the approach to the 2024 primaries? Because he's much stronger as a candidate who remains undefeated than if he steps his toes in the water and potentially loses to Donald Trump, then becoming a second-rate candidate. 
there's as much chance uh, Ron DeSantis will run for president as you will do the Saturday night on the uh, Circle show on Saturday night. 100%. <laughs> it is absolutely happening. And DeSantis is going to be smart, right? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. This stuff with Trump will wear off. Trump will blow the goodwill as he always does because he's exhausting. And he will say stuff and do stuff that will alienate people that are sympathetic to him right now. And DeSantis will plot along and, and you know, it'll be mid to late summer before he goes on offense. And I think the beginning will be the introductory story of Ron DeSantis as governor of Florida, which is a pretty compelling one. Doesn't it ultimately matter, though, because this is going to be a targeted um, it's going it's going to have the most uh, effect on the base. You know, it's going to energize them the most. And your base voters are typically the primary voters. So ultimately, does it matter how qualified DeSantis is if their support for Donald Trump becomes a protest vote against the unfairness of the Democrats? Well, this is where DeSantis is going to be interesting, because he's going to have $100 million, which means he can play offense. And to me, offense is going to be holding the mirror up to the Trump voter and talking about Trump's record during COVID and then contrasting it with DeSantis's. Look, Trump signed off on printing $5 trillion. He had $5 trillion in the national debt in 2020. Trump was a pro-Fauci guy. He put Fauci out there. He propped him up. Trump was a pro-mask guy. He was all about the mask. Trump was a a pro-lockdown guy. He was for everything shutting down. All of these things are certainly fair game, and when you compare and contrast them to Ron DeSantis, DeSantis looks pretty good. Look, if the Trump voters are going to vote for Trump no matter what, it doesn't matter. But somebody inside the Republican Party is actually going to be able to play offense on Trump's record. Okay, so short-term boost, but long-term, you think DeSantis is still in a good position. I hope so, because like you, I support DeSantis. I'm tired of the circus sideshow. I want a serious candidate approaching the nomination for president. Well, think about this, Ethan. When we talk about DeSantis, what do we talk about? His record, which is awesome. Liberty, freedom, tax reform. He's into the culture wars. He leans in. I mean, he is all the stuff. What do we always talk about with Trump? It's some shenanigan outside of his you know, holding an office or public policy proposals. We almost never talk about policy proposals with Trump or things that he's doing. We're talking about Stormy Daniels. We're talking about Michael Cohen. We're talking about Alvin Bragg. We, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, McDougal. We're talking about everything but the stuff. And I don't know about you, Ethan. It's exhausting. It to is. Have to defend this guy 24-7. I've got the perfect example of precisely what you're talking about, because even in the midst of what is a slam dunk for Trump, the you know, this case with Alvin Bragg, it least optically, um, he chose to post on Truth Social a picture of him and a baseball bat with the district attorney and forced his uh, his repre- his current legal representative to uh, defend that on uh, Chuck Todd's show on Meet the Depressed. Of course, he said it was you know it was inadvisable and he wasn't responsible for his social media. But it's illustrative of how the conversation is derailed by Trump's antics, even in the midst of you know something that he can win on. Yeah, the play for Trump is, look, if they can do it to me, they'll do it to you. But the problem is then he makes it all about himself. Trump has such an opportunity here, and we talked about this earlier, with the goodwill, which is people are looking, they're paying attention. Uh, I think any reasonable person would look at what Bragg's doing and say, this is wrong. But instead of garnering the sympathy, now he's going on offense with, as you said, with the photo with him with the baseball bat, and people are just going, 
Dude, you are ridiculous. You shouldn't go to jail, but you are ridiculous. He's self-sabotaging. Okay, so I want to move on from Donald Trump. We're going to continue to discuss that as the story develops over the many months because this is not the end to the story. I do want to focus in on our friend Abdul Shabazz, who's, of course, running for mayor and seemingly, especially with the fundraising, a David versus Goliath scenario because Jefferson Shreve has opted for the carpet bombing approach to campaigning. He's on the radio all the time. I can't turn on the dial without hearing his commercials. Uh, he stuffed my mailbox with no less than seven laptop-sized, you know, embossed, laminated, highly colored, thick, you know, cardstock mailers. So this guy's all going all out in the uh, fundraising. But I think Abdul's taken a more car- targeted approach uh, with the primary voters. What's your sense on how Abdul is going to pull through in the primaries coming up uh, here in May? I don't know about you, Ethan, but I certainly think I need more friends with infinite money. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to be very careful about what I say here. So you're right. It's going to be interesting. Jefferson Shreve is a successful business guy with infinite money. And he is, as you said, he is just torpedoing the people of the Republican primary voters with information, be they radio ads, TV ads, mailers. Everybody's going to know who's walking into the poll, who Jefferson Shreve is. Now, it's going to come down to... One, how effective is his message? I think they're okay. I think he missed the boat on not doing more of an introductory thing about himself in the beginning. Now, he did one later. And how big is Abdul's name? Well, I think Abdul certainly has a big name inside the Indiana State House, inside the you know connected political class. A lot of people vote who are not that. So it's going to come down to how big is Abdul's name and does his message separate him from Jefferson Shreve? Look, as Mike Braun proved in 2018 to Rokita and, and Luke Messer, it is really hard to beat a person with infinite money because they never run out of resources to tell you to vote for them. Really hard, but not impossible. And I think the difference between uh, Abdul and Shreve is one of substance because all Shreve is doing is taking the tough on uh, crime white guy approach, which I'm sorry, it may resonate with with many Republican voters, but it's not a winning strategy in the city of Indianapolis. So in that, I find him to be kind of a spoiler candidate. If, in fact, he does win the primaries, I don't think he's going to win the general, whereas Abdul has much more substance and much more depth to his plans and aspirations for the mayor's office, you know, uh, as far as uh, the the public works, public safety, public trust. I'm bought in on the plan, and I just hope he's able to communicate that with the average primary voter, which, like you said, he's connected in the state house, but I also think he's going to the uh, you know the Republican dinners, the Lincoln Day dinners and such, and uh, connecting on a personal level with many people who are primary voters, because primary voters are the kind of person that goes to those dinners. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, in full disclosure, I gave Abdul money. and uh, I, I did, too. Yeah, I, Abdul and I have been friends for years now and really good friends and maybe even best friends or whatever. But I think one of the things Abdul has got to try to do in the close is take advantage of his name and get that earned media. And for those yeah. who don't know, earned media is when you get interviews on television, radio shows like this, because he is a personality. He is a character. He is a really good dude. And we'll see. I mean, it's just really hard, though, when you're up against a guy who can always buy his way onto the airwaves. That's a really tough thing to do. And, and, and again, uh, Todd Rokita and Luke Messer found that out against Mike Braun a couple years ago. It'll be interesting to see how many people show up to vote, and that's the only thing they're voting on. If you're voting with a purpose, you're probably not as easily swayed because you're desperately paying attention or you're, you're intimately rather paying attention versus people who, well, it's my time to go vote. Hey, I saw that dude. He's running for mayor. Cool. I like his ad. So, I, Long story short, even, I have no idea what's going to happen. I 
I, of course, we don't know until after the primary takes place, but I use the metaphor David versus Goliath because although Abdul's got an uphill battle, it's not impossible. And sometimes the little guy pulls through, and I hope that's the case here. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Again, I think it's, like I said, no matter what happens, though, I've realized I desperately need more very rich friends. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Rob. I appreciate you coming on the show, as always. Thank you, Ethan. You do a phenomenal job, and you're looking so skinny and beautiful. We're all proud of you. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more on 93 WIBC. This is ground control to Major Tom. You've really made the grade. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIBC. Earlier in the show, we heard the Biden administration's uh, scandalous reports blaming Donald Trump for the disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan. Well, in the week since the Nashville shooting at a Christian church, it turns out the real victims of that shooting are the transgender community. This, according to a transgendered pastor in North Dakota and also the Biden administration itself. We'll be diving into that and the ridiculousness entailed. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. This is Saturday Night on the Circle, and you can find our podcast at WIBC.com. Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm and join the chat in progress on the YouTube stream. We're also posted to Facebook, to Twitter. Share the show, like, tell your friends, uh, and show your support. Okay. So this was an absolutely wild moment and not the only Christ comparison we've had on the program. Earlier heard Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene comparing Donald Trump to uh, the arrest of, uh, and execution of Jesus Christ. Well, this transgender activist and of all things pastor at St. Mark's uh, Lutheran Church in North Dakota, Micah Luwagi, who goes by they, them pronouns, compared the transgender shooter to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in the fallout. Uh, this was for their Easter sermon. Apparently, here's just a small excerpt of the insanity. They would kill the one whose reputation as a teacher and healer and whose mission of love and dignity was so very threatening to their own reputation that they needed to kill him in order to preserve their good image. It's baffling to me that someone's existence can be so threatening that people decide they need to be controlled, that they need to have laws made against them, or even worse, that the people that they find to be so threatening should die. There are a significant number of people who have deemed that the fact that the Nashville shooter happened to be a trans person, so it's been reported, is just the excuse they need to call for the eradication of trans folks. What a hyperbolic load of nonsense. I've not heard one single person anywhere suggest that trans people need to be executed after the Nashville shooting, either before or since. That is a load of nonsense. And to compare it to the biblical text. Look, I'm just, I'm just glad that I'm not religious, so I, I actually have very little stake in these conversations uh, these days, but absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so up to you to decide which is the more clownish comparison uh, between Jesus Christ, either Donald Trump or the transgendered shooter of Nashville. 
only on Saturday night on The Circle. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, but Corrine Jean-Pierre also making uh, interesting observations, saying that it... That it's not we, we can't really decide we can't call whether this transgender shooting of a Christian school is a hate crime. Here was the moment caught on tape. Um, former Vice President Pence said that if the shooter who killed six people uh, in that Christian school in Tennessee was motivated motivated by a hatred towards Christians, that the crime should be categorized as a hate crime. I'm wondering what the president thinks of that kind of designation. It's not for us to decide. Not for us to decide. I wonder how the administration would respond if it was, say, a Christian shooter that attacked a transgender shelter. That's not what happened. In this case, the shoe was on the other foot, but the administration can't decide if it's a hate crime. You know, oh, well, we'll have to leave it up to the local authorities. Like, look, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and this definitely fits the bill of a hate crime. Um, but but, but it's very important that we pay attention to these issues, um, not only to protect children, which, de which definitely are under attack and being specifically targeted again by the administration. And I'll play you a uh, supplemental soundbite from Kareem Jean-Pierre <laughs> here in just a moment, but also note the way the transgender community treats women. And it's funny because liberals used to take up the mantle of women's rights, and now they're the first ones frothing at the mouth to attack women who are defending their gender, it, or I should say their sex, their gender. Well, we'll get into the specifics of that later, uh, too. Um, in women's sports, this is Riley Gaines, who actually had to be uh, shuffled into a safe room at San Francisco state university after she was assaulted physically and verbally by trans activists at the college Check, check this out. She's she actually sounds like a heavy metal singer. You could do that for heavy metal. Trans rights are human rights. Oh, my God. These individuals sound absolutely unhinged. And that is the larger problem here. Not I, I don't think that the trans transgender shooter was specifically inspired because they are transgender, because, but it speaks to a larger issue about mental health problems. And one thing that you won't hear about in the news this week, or at least from very few outlets, is actually a shooting Another shooting that was stopped in Colorado, but it's getting very little coverage. William Wentworth, 19, charged with planning to commit mass murder at the Timberview Middle School in Colorado Springs, according to an affidavit. His sister turned him in and doesn't refer to him by male pronouns, but rather as Lily. Uh, on Thursday this week, he was uh, uh, 
uh, formally charged with criminal uh, attempt to commit murder in the first degree, criminal mischief, menacing, interference with staff, faculty or students or educational institutions, and the defendant's preliminary hearing is stated, uh, slated for May 5th at 2.30 p.m., bond set for $75,000. I specifically wanted to get into the emergency uh, responders, the police officers, who came in to uh, respond to the emergency 911 call and talking about um, mental health issues. I want you to pay special attention to the description given by these officers of the living conditions where this potential shooter was ultimately uh, uh, arrested. This is straight from a report from uh, the local Fox affiliate in Colorado Springs. According to the affidavit, a deputy with the Elbert County Sheriff's Office was called to a disturbance uh, in the uh, 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 the block of Doubletree Ranch Circle in the unincorporated town of Elbert Friday evening on March 31st. The 911 caller reported her sister, identified as Lily Whitworth, threatened to shoot up a school at least twice and has severe anger issues per arrest papers. Upon arrival, the deputy entered the home and noticed trash piling up all around the house to where it made it hard to walk inside. The deputy also reported numerous containers filled with half-eaten food with mold growing inside and numerous alcoholic beverage containers laying around the house. This is a 19-year-old they arrested. The deputy was directed to the room where Whitworth was reportedly sleeping and saw two holes in the wall that appeared to be punch marks, as well as the door to the bedroom off its hinges and laying beside the opening. Inside the room was trash piled up as high as Whitworth's bed, a hole in the wall beside the bed, and sheets stained bright Brown, according to the affidavit. While being questioned, Whitworth told the deputy that they had been planning a school shooting for a month or two and was about a third of the way from doing it. And because of the identity of this individual involved, you're seeing very little coverage in mainstream media outlets. But talking about the gross conditions described by responding officers speaks to the level of mental decay that is being proudly defended by the administration. This is a problem and we should feel sympathy for these individuals because this is a cry for help stable people do not live in piles of trash stable people do not have a 40 percent suicide rate and that has been increasing as acceptance of the transgender community has also been increasing in the community like the transgendered individuals were not murdering themselves or committing suicide in mass in the 1950s or the 1900s it's only with the added acceptance and recognition it's it's not aiding the problem. It's worsening the problem uh, with these in, in, incredibly high suicide rates. And the most important thing is the involvement of children, the involvement of children. They're the ones that need to be protected the, the most. Adults can do what they want. But now the administration is openly admitting that they want to subject minors to life altering genital mutilation. And uh, there's supposedly there's upwards of 150,000 of them in the country. This is Corrine Jean-Pierre uh, in the wake of the Nashville shooting, saying the administration has the back of these transgendered children, not adults, 150,000 children. Um, and they will, of course, fight back, maybe in the same way that uh, this Whitworth character intended to. More than 50% of transgender youth in the U.S., which is estimated to be more than 150,000 kids, live in states in which transgender youth have lost access to or at risk of losing access to gender-affirming care. Look, this is awful news. Let's be very clear about that. 
LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce, they fight back, they're not going anywhere, and we have their back. This administration has their back. 12 states so far have stepped forward to protect children, signing various bans of uh, what's called gender-affirming care into law for minors, a step that is so common sense it shouldn't need to be codified, but in the world we live in, it does. Um, and, and this is demonstrating why the administration saying that they would love to subject more than 150,000 children to these types of procedures. And it's a bastardization of terms to even call it a gender-affirming care because I've been told by these leftist activists that gender and sex are different things. Gender exists on a spectrum, you see, but sex is binary. And yet, when they seek to implement this so-called gender-affirming care, it's done by changing your sex. So they don't even understand the terms that they're discussing, and they don't play by the rules. It's more important now than ever to protect the children, especially when these levels of mental uh, health issues are not only being ignored, they're being encouraged. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Coming up uh, next, we're wrapping up the show, so stay tuned. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Saturday night on the circle on 93 WIBC. Thanks for listening to the show. This is Saturday night on the circle, an abbreviated segment before we wrap up. The Associated Press, uh, uh, Associated Press reporting that about 25 train cars derailed on Sunday last week near the town of Paradise, Montana. No injuries reported. No hazardous materials have been released. However, the rail cars that reached the M- uh, river were carrying Coors, Coors Light and Blue Moon. It's not been uh, left floating down the river. It has been uh, secured in the derailment area. I'd like to note the connection between that and what happened the same day, the final day of women's finals, uh, the day before the men's championship, transgender social media influencer uh, Dylan Mulvaney shared a sponsored post on their Instagram account promoting Bud's Light March Madness contest the same day that a train car derailed carrying Coors and uh, uh, carrying Coors and Blue Moon uh, competitors. So I think this is all part of a larger conspiracy forcing you to buy Bud Light. Fortunately, I've never purchased the product ever intentionally, and neither should you, because why would you drink weak swill? I've had Old, old guys telling me for years that Bud Light is uh, weak beer for sissy boys. And here Dylan Mulvaney's face is plastered on the can. The prophecies are true. That's why I drink Sam Adams or uh, better yet, buy local craft beers. That brings us to a close. Thanks for listening to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I leave you with my parting words of wisdom. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, remember that life is a state of mind. See you next week. 